Good morning. Um, there is a recurring dream that a lot of people have, um, and uh, it's one that I haven't had in a long time. Um, but has anyone had that dream where you had that school report due, or you had that meeting with your boss, and you show up for that meeting, or you show up for that report, and you're naked? Has anyone had that dream? No. Nobody? Wait, I'm the only one? That cannot possibly be. My studies, yeah, my studies said that's a common dream, but apparently I'm, I don't know what the studies were. You know, there is this ongoing um, kind of debilitating fear for us to be completely naked before people, um, both physically but also emotionally um, and relationally exposed, right? If you look at our society today and you look at our world, we have beautiful air conditioning in our car and in our house so that we don't need those front porches anymore where we can kind of hang out on the front porch, have our pie out, and everybody walks by and the neighbors say, how you doing? Now if we see our neighbors, we're like, hide, hide, there's a neighbor. I, you know, it's tough sometimes. Some of us, if, we've, if we're really doing well, we get to live in places where there are no neighbors, right? <laughs> If we're really, really doing well, we live in places where there are no neighbors and we have a fence that you can't get in without a special code. Um, I drive home from Winter Garden to Claremont every day from, um, from work, and uh, it's just thousands and thousands of people in cars with their windows rolled up, totally isolated, all alone. And I think, I wonder how many of these people live in my neighborhood that we could just carpool back and forth with. Today, we're, we're really facing a crisis in our community of intimacy. And intimacy is not what the world has taken that word to mean, um, physical, sexual intimacy. What intimacy means is being known completely, without fear, being able to be physically, emotionally, relationally open and transparent with someone else. Part of our focus in this church is for you and us to be known by each other. That is exactly what we're talking about. We are talking about relational intimacy with each other so that I know you, you know me. It's a really, really hard, hard thing to achieve because we're all a bunch of strangers that happen to walk in here in a school on a Sunday morning and sit down together. But eventually we become family and we learn to love each other. We learn each other's good and bad things, and we become a family. That's what God designed us to be. But many times we go back to that naked in the school dream, and we stand in front of you and say, I, I really hope you don't actually know me, me, me. Because if you knew me, then, man, ooh, you would not want to be with me. So let's, let's turn in your Bibles to chapter 3 of Genesis, way back in the beginning, to figure out where all this came from, and look at God's solution to how we can be known um, by God and by each other. Genesis chapter 3, this is a very familiar passage that hopefully you have read. If you haven't read it, you probably learned it in kids' class many, many years ago or Sunday school. Genesis chapter 3, creation has happened. Adam and Eve are walking in the garden. Everything seems to be good. And here's the deal. God had put them in the garden so that they could be in relationship intimately with each other, know each other, have that kind of relationship where they were able to be completely open, 
God said to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, so I'm gonna give you someone that you will be able to have a relationship with. They were in turn created to be in relationship with the creator God. God walked with them through the garden and they were able to have a perfect relationship with God. He knew them, they knew him, everything was beautiful. We as people were created to be in relationship with God and that's what Adam and Eve had up until this point that is exactly where they were, where we find them. So in Genesis chapter three, verses six, <clears throat> it says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here in the Bible, you find the first episode where they realize that there is, oh, something's off here, something's weird here. They had sinned against the Lord. God said, don't eat that fruit and only don't eat that fruit. And they said, hey, how about that fruit? And it sounded like a good idea, so they did it. They realized that they had broken the relationship with God by doing that. And so the first thing that they, saw, they said, they turned to each other and said, you're naked. And he says, you're naked. He said, yeah, we should definitely do something about that. They covered up. They had lost that innocence and they were now afraid and ashamed and they were looking for a bush somewhere. In verse eight, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Let's just take for a second the absurdity of this situation. The creator God of the universe who spoke the existence of everything into being and created Adam and Eve and created them for relationship and knew them and walked with them is walking through the garden after they had sinned. And I, I'm just imagining God is walking. He's listening to the breeze and he hears the rustle of Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes over here made with their little leaf, their palm branch bikinis or whatever it is that they made at the time. And he says, hey, where are you? How silly is that? Adam and Eve are hiding from the creator of the universe in the garden that he created, covered with the plants that he spoke into existence. It's so silly. And yet, what does Adam say? Well, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They had broken that relational intimacy with God at that point. This was really the beginning of the fall of man living apart from a perfect relationship with God who had created them in relationship. And as you read through the Old Testament, you will find time and time again, Jonah is hiding from God. He runs, to, he runs the opposite direction and he thinks he's gonna hide from God. You see David, when he kills Bathsheba's husband in battle, he's hiding. You see Moses kills an Egyptian and he runs away to try to hide. You see, you begin to see a pattern in the Old Testament of people who had sinned against God and other people, and they began to hide. They began to run away in hopes that nobody would find them. The thing that is so heartbreaking is that we see things like David in Psalm chapter 32 says this, when I kept silent, 
My bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. So you have the history of people hiding from God and this terrible pain that happens as a result of it. Adam and Eve had a lot of problems after this, right? If you, if you keep following along, they got kicked out of the garden. Their sons killed, one of them killed each other. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. They were hiding because they were ashamed. They were hiding because they had sinned against God. And that is where we find the human population in the Old Testament, hiding from God because of their sin. We do this today because there somehow in the past got this broken mindset of how we as people in society should be when we come to church and come before the Lord, right? When I was growing up, um, dad was a, a pastor and uh, a, a wonderful man who loved the Lord. And um, he would put us in our little suits and ties and we would show up on Sunday morning in West Texas where it was 173 degrees and we were in, I had a little vest on and we would go sit in there and, get, and I, would have, I had a cow lick because I used to have hair, you know, and it, was, it would stick up like this and my mom would come up behind me and do the old cow lick like, ah, and you know, clean it down because why do we do that? Because we have to present ourselves before the Lord in our finest array of whatever it is. I'm like, this is as good as it gets, you know? Like, there's no, there's no better. We, we think that we need to come before God who created the universe and, and fix ourselves up to this point where, like, everything's okay before we come to the Lord. We think we need to fix ourselves before we come in to sit in church here because we think that, like, if people really knew me, if people really understood me, then they would not want to be in relationship with me. And if God really knew me, he wouldn't really love me. That's, that's what we do to ourselves. It's a horrible brokenness, and it is so painful because all that does is create fear and loneliness. There's a, a very interesting recent study about loneliness that they, that they have done that says um, 36% of all Americans... 61% of adults and 51% of mothers with young children feel serious clinical loneliness. Half of women with small children feel serious clinical loneliness. Does that speak to anybody here? I remember when my kids were little, little, and like, I would come home and Sherry would be like this, what is happening? Well, I just need human interaction, please, because I've been with our children all day long and we loved them to death, but like, it's lonely. It's lonely. In that same study, they figured out that loneliness was actually physically worse for you than smoking 15 cigarettes a day or clinical obesity. Um, it was also increased the risk of death by 26%, and it increased cognitive decline and dementia. So if you're lonely, clinically, seriously lonely, all of these things are terrible for you. You need to understand that isolation, loneliness, broken intimacy, they are literally deadly to us physically. If we are isolated from the people who love us and the people who can help us, it is not just a matter of, well, I'll be okay one day. No, it's actually physically, emotionally, and socially deadly to you that, to be able to continue to live in that situation. 
keep driving down 50, looking over. I wonder if that person's lonely. I wonder if that person's lonely. Look in the mirror. I wonder if that person's lonely. It's deadly to our souls. It is deadly to us as human beings because that's not how God created us to be. If you are lonely, we would really like to be part of your life. Um, If you are alone, um, know that you don't have to be alone because God created this body of believers to come alongside you and to love you and to know you. And I can already hear in your mind, you're saying, but you don't understand. If you really knew me, if you really knew what, who I am deep down inside, you wouldn't say that. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Fair warning, I may cry, and that's okay. Because my dad said that grown men can cry, and that's all right. Luke chapter 15 This is a story that Jesus is telling to people who are listening to him speak, and um, it's something that that every time I read this story, it just blows my mind. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Everybody there? Say yes if you're there. Okay, good. You cheat because you got those, you got this fancy, you know, phones, and you pull it out and just be like, Luke chapter 11. Okay, Luke chapter 11. I'm sorry, Luke 15, verse 11. I was trying to see if you were paying attention. Now, Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pots that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. All right, so this is about as bad a situation as you can imagine if you're a Jewish boy. You've taken your entire inheritance from your father. You've ran off. You've gone and you've spent everything that you had. It was, I'm sure, it would have been at a substantial inheritance because his father was not just some dude. He ran a, a fairly profitable farm, whatever you want to call it, because he had lots of stuff there, Right? He took his inheritance, he ran off, he spent it all, and he found himself in the pigsty. For a Jewish person, being in the pigsty is a big deal because you, that's an unclean animal. So it wasn't just like he was out feeding the sheep, like David was a shepherd and everybody thought he was cool. No, no, this is completely different. This is a man who was at the end of himself, the end of his rope, the very farthest away that he could get from his faith and his family. He found himself wishing that he could eat the leftover scraps from what the pigs were eating, and he was like, I wish I could do that, but no one would give it to him. That's, a, that's as bad as you can get. That's, I mean, it, that's literally, that's pretty bad, you know? And that is exactly how we find ourselves at the end of ourselves. We find ourselves completely, we've, we've walked away, we've done these bad things, we've said these things, and we find ourselves and we're just completely hopeless, right? Hopeless and helpless without God. So let's keep reading here because this is, this is the good part. In verse 17, he says, when he came to his senses, 
He said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So here's what happens here. This man who had given up everything had made some serious assumptions about how his father felt about him. Because of what he had done, he thought, well, you know what? I know that my father takes care of his servants, so maybe I can, maybe if I go back and apologize and say I'm sorry and grovel in front of him, maybe I can find myself into the servants' quarters because at least they'll be fed. He had assumed that God, that, sorry, we're skipping ahead. He had assumed <laughs> that his father would not forgive him, did not love him anymore, did not want him around, hated him, whatever. You line it out. He had made all these assumptions about his father. There's a beautiful book called Abba's Child written by Brennan Manning. And in this book, he says this, we unwittingly project onto God our own attitudes and feelings toward ourselves. But we cannot assume that he feels about us the way that we feel about ourselves unless we love ourselves compassionately, intensely, and freely. We project on God the way that we feel about ourselves. This guy was projecting onto his father the way that he felt about himself. He felt terrible. He felt at the end of himself, he felt like he had let his father down and that he was not worthy of love. And so he projected those things onto his father and said, maybe I know that I can't expect him to ever love me, but maybe I can fall on his mercy and, and get a little bit of scraps from the servant's table. We find ourselves there often. I find myself there often with God where I think I've really messed up. If God really knew what was going on inside of me because I feel so awful inside and I just project it on God. Let's continue the story here in verse 20. This man gets up and he went to his father but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. First John 4, 9 says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
this man had put on his father these ideas that he had in his mind about how his father would feel about him, and he went back to his father hoping only for mercy. And when he was far away, when he was way off, his dad who had been sitting up and waiting for him and wishing and praying and dreaming that he would see his son again, saw him way off in the distance, way off. And he didn't just wait for his son to come and fall down and apologize, but he got on his sandals and he ran to see his son. He ran to see his son and he didn't just say, hey, you know what, I know you messed up. That's okay, let's work to rebuild trust right now. That's not what he said. He ran to him and he threw open his arms and he said, I've been waiting and praying and loving you even while you were gone. Even while you were gone. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us as believers. When we were far, far, far away from God, far before we had any dream of knowing about God and his love and his grace and his mercy, he sent his son for you and for me when we were a long way off. How does that gel with our idea of how we need to correct ourselves before we come before God? It doesn't at all. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all, because when we were feeding the pigs, God was preparing his son to come die for us. When we were a long way off, before we came to repentance, God came running for us in the person of his son. Instead of clothing us with a robe like the father did, he clothed us with his royalty, with his righteousness. Instead of a signet ring of earthly royalty, he made us sons and daughters of the most high king. He clothed our feet with the good news of the gospel instead of sandals. Instead of killing a fattened calf for us, he allowed his own son to die to pay for our sins. Quit keeping score. Quit trying to make yourself better before you come before the Lord and understand he's not looking for you to be better. He's already given you his son. Well, if God really knew me, yes, yes, that's it. God does know you, and he loves you. And there's no but in there. God knows you intimately and loves you. And so now, it changes our perspective on how we can do life when we come together as a body of believers who understand this deeply in our hearts that God loves us in spite of who we are And because of the work of his son on the cross, he has called us to be part of this family that we can be known, that we can be loved, that we can be understood, that we can be a part of the family that God has called here together in Beloved Church. We don't have to hide from God anymore. We don't have any reason to. And we don't have to hide from each other anymore because we don't have any reason to. The Christian does not think that God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. That's my buddy, C.S. Lewis. He's, he's one of my favorite authors. I'm gonna say that again so that we can hear it. The Christian does not think that God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. So what does that mean for us? In community, we're talking about being together 
What does that actually mean to us? What, is the, what can this do for our church, our body of believers, if we say that we are being together and we are going to be known? Well, many of us come to this church, strike that, all of us come into this church with a lot of baggage. We've got, we've got bags that we're carrying, and if we've done really well, we, we tuck them under, behind us so that nobody can see it, and we walk in here like this and say, hey, how are you doing? Everybody good? Yeah, my family's incredible. How about your family? We never fight, ever, <laughs> right? My kids, perfect, yep, perfect. Straight A's, never fight, right? How do you eat? Well, I eat all organic, and uh, oh, I'm, 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 I'm a vegetarian, um, but, you know, like we, we present ourselves in this certain way. Like this morning, I'm getting ready, and I'm like trying a, a shirt, and I'm like, no, that's, that's not going to work. And then I put this one, I was like, well, the collar's messed up. I was like, I don't care. Because you know what? I can't, I can't be that worried about it because, like, I should at least show you, hey, my collar's messed up. Because I don't have to present myself before you like I'm perfect because I'm not. But we try to do that so hard. We go to our small groups and we sit down in our small groups and here's the question. How are you doing? What's the answer? Wait, say it again. How are you doing? Fine. Fine. Right? That's the answer to the question now. How are you doing? Right. That's a terrible, terrible answer. And yet, and then when you go and you sit down and you say, how are you doing? And somebody says, hey, let me tell you about how hard my week is. You're like, wait, is he, is he talking to you? Is he, talk, is he talking to me? Like, is this, is this really happening right now? Like, he's actually telling me how he's feeling? Like, it's time for us as believers, it's time for us as family to take our bags out from behind the curtains and, and put them out here and unzip them and say, here's my bags. I, I, I don't want to hide it anymore. Many of you know my story. I had not planned on sharing this, but I feel like it's important that I do this morning. So you forgive me if I... Um, but uh, I was a good kid in high school went to college and discovered alcohol. And it was amazing. It was the best thing I'd ever had in my life. And um, over the next few years, I developed a pretty serious addiction to that, to alcohol. Um, and a um, little more than 15 years ago, I found myself at the end of my rope. I had hidden everything from everybody. I thought I was a, a hopeless drunk. And um, there was no hope. There was no way for me to find my way out from behind this terrible addiction that I had. And I was lost. I just didn't know, I didn't know what to do. Sherry was the only one that knew about it. And I had hidden my bags. I had literally hidden all of this so that no one would see it. I get up in front of everybody, be like, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And then I would get drunk on the week. And it was not like happy, happy, let's go have a margarita. This was pretty bad. And um, eventually it all came out. And this class that I had been teaching for a couple of years of young adults, I had hidden all of this from. Nobody knew, any about, nobody knew anything about it. They found out about it. And I was like terrified because I was like, this is the end of it. These are my best friends in the world. And I have been hiding all of this for them for for the whole time I've known them, they're finally going to know who I am and they're going to hate me. They're going to hate me. And 
that group came around me and came around Sherry and they, put, they literally put their arms around me and said, I'm so sorry you've been having to deal with this alone. I'm so sorry that you felt like you couldn't open up to us and share this struggle. We don't hate you. We love you. And we want to walk with you through this. It was God being, I mean, it was the church being Jesus to me. It was the literal hands and feet of Jesus as, as they came around me and said, yes, I, we know you're messed up, but we love you. And we're gonna walk through this with you. And they did, and they did. And I celebrated 15 years sober, I, and it has been only by the grace of God that I have been able to get up every day and say, I don't need this anymore. And God has shown himself in incredible, merciful, unbelievable ways through that. But that's what we as a body of believers can do for each other. If you're afraid to let us know who you are, I'm telling you, we've been there. We've got the scars. And we want to be there with you. And there's this hesitation or there's a, there's a hesitation that what are they going to say to me? And I want to I want to speak to those who are going to be the recipient of that now. Many times when the Bible says to bear one another's burdens, it does not say give them another Bible study. Does it? There's nothing wrong with Bible studies. Please, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm preaching the Bible now, so that should be pretty evident that I I believe in it. But when the Bible says this, bear another's burdens, It says, and so fulfill the law of God. Bear a burden does not necessarily mean that you need to have all of the answers in order to create create this perfect way out and say, okay, here's our 12-step plan to be able to walk out of this problem you're having right now. Sometimes bearing one another's burdens means coming alongside someone who is in an impossible place, whether you understand it or not, and say, look, I know that this burden is heavy, So I'm going to bear it with you. I'm literally going to bear it with you. I'm going to put you on my shoulders. We're going to walk together through this thing that that you should not have to walk alone. I don't have to understand your burden. I don't have to understand everything about what's going on in you, but I need to understand that God is calling us not always to have an answer, but to be a co-walker, a fellow walker in the midst of, of the burden. Because there are going to be burdens that I'm presented with that I cannot understand. I cannot fathom what it would be like to lose a child. I cannot understand what it's like to go through a number of different situations, but I can still walk with you. I can still be there with you. I can still love you through it. That is what God is calling us to do, to carry one another's burdens. If we don't do that, if I don't tell my story, if I don't talk about the baggage, Brennan Manning says it this way, in a futile attempt to erase our past, we deprive the community of our healing gift. If we conceal our wounds out of fear and shame, our inner darkness can neither be illuminated nor become a light for others. If you refuse to step into the relationship of this church and be known and allow yourself to open up 
and allow people to know you and you know other people, you are depriving this church of what God has done in your life to be a message to other people around you. God does not allow us to go through things for no reason. They're always, always for his glory. My walk through my addiction is for God's glory. Because when I stand up here and say 15 years sober, it's not something I've done, it's something that God has done in me through his power alone. When you stand up and say, this difficult thing that I walked through that was impossible to understand, and God walked me through that, it's a picture of God's grace and mercy that he gave you, his incredible sustaining faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Even when I couldn't see it, great is thy faithfulness. God is calling us to be able to come together as a body of believers, bring the baggage out into the open, shine the light on it, and then we all together say, you know what? All this baggage seems like a lot, but you know what? If, if we all pick it up together and carry it, burden's not gonna be that hard because we can do it together. I'm gonna put the bottom line up here. It says this, that God knows us and he loves us anyway. We don't have to hide our true selves from him or each other. Bottom line is this. If you're hiding, know that there is beauty in the light. If you're hiding from God because you think you're not good enough for him, please understand, not only are you good enough for him, it doesn't matter how good you are, you can never be good enough for him because he already loved you. He already gave himself for you. If you're hiding from each other, it's time to take the mask off. It's time to bring the baggage out. It's time to take the filters off the Instagram pictures. It's time to, time to stop presenting only the good things on Facebook and come together and be, be ready for us to hear what's going on in your life and carry the burden together. We're gonna have a lot of opportunities to step into relationship in the next couple of weeks. So um, you're gonna be able to, to get a discipline pra practicing partner. It's a great place for you to be able to step into an intimate relationship with another person and say, hey, this is how my week's going and it kind of sucks. And this is what I'm dealing with right now. And they say, yeah, I get it. We're gonna carry that burden together. Small groups are going to restart soon. Um, Covenant Partnership is saying, hey, I'm going I'm to take part in this. I believe in what you're saying, and I want to be part of a church that says that and does that. God loves you so much. God loves you so much. If you hear nothing else that I said this morning, I hope you hear this. If you're far away from him, that's good. Look at the distance down the road. Because you know who's running towards you right now? It's God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for allowing us to have even a tiny bit of the message that you have given us of the gospel, Lord, and that we can share it in a way that, Lord, I just pray that you would encourage people, that you would strengthen people, Lord, and that you would call people into a next level of relationship with you, that they would see you, that they would love you, that they would know you, 
they'd be able to take off the mask, stop hiding, and come into the grace and wonder of knowing real intimate relationship with you and with your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.